Hurricane Florence is dropping like 20 to 40 inches of rain on them. It's insane. And it has made for some of the best live television I have ever seen in my life. Has anyone seen the news broadcasts that are being uh, overly exaggerated? The first one, I really wanted to have the clips, but I just ran out of time. The first one is a guy standing in knee-deep water, just talking about how high the water's gotten. Right behind him is a guy walking about ankle-deep in the same water. Well, we come to find out that that guy is actually standing in a hole with water up around his waist, around his knees. So he's making it look more than what it really is. The, 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 my absolute favorite one, this is my favorite one, is the guy that's standing there like this. I mean, he's just going nuts, right, with the wind and all the winds going around him, and he's got these two guys just walking casually. <laughs> it's amazing. But, you know, I, I do, I, I was, Katie and I were watching the news the other day, and we were watching some of these videos. I've always been envious of those guys. The guys that do it for real, not the fake guys. I don't like them. I've lost all respect. The guys who are like, their paycheck allows them to go out in the middle of a tornado and like, well, it's, they're saying like that. And, well, the tornado's right there. It's coming right toward And they're just broadcasting the news normally. Like, are you insane? Like, how many of you all been through a tornado? Anybody? You don't just stand there. You don't stand outside, you know, like unless you're like bungee cord to something. Like, no, no. You get inside. If you don't have a basement, you crawl into the bathtub, put a mattress over top. Right? Then you get the guys in the earthquake who are like reporting on live television on top of a bridge as the bridge is collapsing all around them. What are you thinking? How in the world do they stand there so securely, so calmly, and just report the news like nothing's going on? Now we know why. Some of them fake it. But now, seriously though, these guys like put themselves in the worst conditions. What we've been talking about the last couple of weeks is this idea of what it looks like to look forward to Christ, what it means to be found in Christ, to be united with Christ, and to Last week, we, let, we said we were going to let go of the things that are hindering us, the things that distract us. We let go of the past. If you guys are like Star Wars fan, let the past die. Anybody? Thank you. Brett, I appreciate it. Let the past die. Yeah, it's the same idea. You, let everything, you must let go of everything behind you and t- so it allows you to go forward. Well, this week, what we're going to talk about is this idea of what it means to stand firm. How in the world do those guys stand there so calmly in the middle of that storm. My, my personal opinion is that they have a great insurance policy, they have a great life insurance policy, and they probably get a nice hefty paycheck to let them do that. I would probably stand pretty calmly if I was getting that kind of cash too. I don't know, maybe. I'd have to think about it. But in real life, what we are faced with in life is that, yes, we let these things go. We let go of the past. A little while ago, we let the past burn. We let go of those things, but so often we are still faced with this struggle of still moving forward, still being hindered by some of those same things. Or what happens whenever you remove one thing? Something else sneaks into its place, right? It's like once you are able to conquer or get rid of one sin or one ne- negative aspect of your life, once you get rid of that, all of a sudden something else sneaks into its place and takes ownership of you. What I want you guys to realize tonight is that we actually have the opportunity to always stand firm in what we believe. What I want you guys to know is that we can stand firm in this world because of the finished work of Christ. Last week we said that the idea of looking forward is not that we're looking forward to the hope that we try to think we have. We look backwards on the hope that we have because of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. That finished work. And that's what we have to look forward to. So we're going to jump back into Philippians 3. This will be our last week spending time together in this passage. We're going to start in verse 7. Actually, we're going to start in verse 12. And we're going to read into chapter 4. Starting in verse 12, chapter 3. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, 
because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, remembering the past. I strain forward to what lies ahead, looking at the future. I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus, the present. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, anything you think, if, any, if, in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold, on true, let's hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of you have often told you, and now I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and their glory is in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We're going to continue. Skip down to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, or some translations say gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lowly, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you have learned and recovered, received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the length you have, re you have received or revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you now have no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned what it is, whatever, situation I'm in to, whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, to be abound. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing the plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things who Christ who? Stop there. So Paul's finishing up his letter. This is the last section, last chapter of his letter to the church of Philippi. And they've helped him a lot throughout his missionary journey. They've, they've sent him money. They've sent him a gift. And now he's turned, taking time to say thank you for that gift that they've given him. But last week, the last few weeks, we've, we've kind of stuck to that one section of Scripture. But one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain to what lies ahead. I press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus. That's like Paul's, like, strong statement. That's his, like, the climax of his entire message. And now he's coming to this point where he says, yes, I want you guys to look forward. I want you to forget the past. I want you to press on towards the goal of the upper call of Christ Jesus. But here's the deal. Things are not going to always be easy. Is life easy? No. Is being a Christian easy? No. I had a friend who, uh, you guys remember Drew from Fall Retreat last year? Big, goofy redhead. So Drew got to, uh, share the gospel at Marshall one time with a kid, and that kid was party animal, I mean, broken as can be. And he was like, oh, dude, that's hope. I believe in it. He believed in Jesus right there. First time he ever heard the gospel, he accepted it. And his life, like in an instant, was changed. But within two weeks, his fiance said, I'm done. And then his mother passed away. He came back to us. He all of a sudden just disappeared. He just kind of fell off the face of the earth. And we kind of called and checked in on him. He goes, dude, if that's what being a Christian is going to be like, I don't want anything to do with it. He associated his Christian, new Christian faith 
with all these things going on around in the negative circumstances. But that's the reality of sometimes our Christian life. We get on this journey. We get on this spiritual high. You guys come back from church camp. You guys come back from fall retreat, winter retreat. You guys leave on Sunday nights, and you guys on this mountaintop experience, you're like, I have seen the glory of the Lord, Martin Luther King. I have seen the glory of the Lord, and all of a sudden, just something crashes. Something doesn't go your way. You get received bad news. You lose a loved one. Something negative happens in your life. In your first instance, so often, because that's what we do, it's point fingers. We point fingers, and usually, if it's something that we cause, we don't even point our fingers at ourselves. Usually, the very first person when we deal with this in the Christian life, the very first person we deal with, or we, we blame, is who? God. I have done it over and over and over again. I walked away from my faith in high school years. You've heard me talk about that. I said, God, if that's the kind of God you are, I don't want anything to do with you. If that's what being a Christian looks like, I don't want anything to do with that. If that's what a church looks like, excuse me, to hell with that. That's what I told God. Over and over again, we just constantly point fingers at God. But Paul is telling you, in this instance, I want you guys to stand firm. Be like that guy who's insanely, out, like insane, out in the middle of that storm, being able to take the winds, being able to take the pressure, being able to take the trials, being able to take the struggles. Now, how in the world do you do that? How in the world do we deal with what we deal with in life? From what we have been talking about, the only thing that we can do, the only way we can stand firm is because of the finished work of Christ, like we said. But if you look at this passage, you look at Philippians 3 from verse 7 into verse 13 of chapter 4, there are 13 things that I read, 13 things that are true of us if we are truly believers in Christ. That if you guys truly believe that you guys are Christians, you guys are looking, you're forgetting what lies behind, you're looking for what lies ahead, and you are now currently pressing on to the upper call of Christ. Jesus. If that's what you claim, these are 13 things that should be true of us that will help us stand firm in Christ Jesus. The first one, which is found in verse 15 of chapter 3. So let us, those of us who are mature think this way. How many of you all are mature? Yeah, I thought Ryan Elliott, I knew, would be the only one. Brett, put your hand back down. Let me ask you this. If you are 17, how many 17-year-olds? Okay, S 17. Are you more mature than you were at 16? How about 12? How, about, how many of you are 13? Are you more mature when you were 5? Why? You're growing up, right? You're getting older. Ma ma maturity is not a, all of a sudden you're mature. I know like the world says that like all of a sudden, oh, he's mature. Like there's like a gold standard that we're trying to get to where we're like, oh, finally we're mature. Brett's laughing hysterically at something. It's probably because he's immature. Yes. <laughs> you know, they say the, if you ever study sociology, how many of you have had sociology in class yet? Anybody? High schoolers? Sociologists believe that teenage years are no longer finished at 18. They believe the teenage years actually finish at 25. Do you want to know why? Immaturity. <laughs> no, it's not because of insurance or health care plans. Wow. Thank you. Apparently, Dave, how old are you? How old are you? Apparently it ends at 37 now. 
No, so they believe that immature, like, they believe that you're not, you don't reach the maturity of, of an adult until you're 25 now. The only thing, okay, I'm 26. I turned 25 last year. The only thing that I discovered that was better at turning 25 is that I could rent a car, right, at a cheaper price. You know, I didn't have to, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm underage, so charge me another 500 bucks. I was finally past that. And then the reality, I had to get my own insurance. That's not a benefit. That was stupid. Sorry. Side rant. But they believe that the maturity range is different now. But the reality is, they're, what they're doing is they're setting a number. When you reach 25, you guys are going to be mature. Well, let me just promise you guys something. When you guys are 25, you will not be mature as your 30-year-old self. When you reach 25, you will not be as mature as your 60-year-old self. You all realize that? If you're not, if you're, okay, if you're not maturing, then we have to have a serious talk. Because growing up is going to be a lot more difficult than you believe. Brett. Just playing with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. The first thing, so <laughs> we're going to stop there. The first thing that is true of us is that we are maturing and we are growing. Make, that, make sure you know that. You guys are maturing and you are growing. You are not finished yet. You realize that? You're not finished. Most of you guys are still physically growing, right? You realize that? Some of us, when you reach a certain age, you, start go, you stop getting, like, taller this way, and you start getting wider this way. That's just how it works. But we still constantly grow. But it's not just physically. It's also spiritually, mentally, socially. Most of you guys, excuse me, are socially awkward. That's what being a teenager is. Hopefully, by the time you're 27, you have it figured out, and you can go, hi, instead of, Right? So that's the first thing. The first thing is that we are maturing and we are growing. The second thing that is true of us, found in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul calls these people to says, I want you to imitate me. Paul's not boasting in himself. What he is saying is, I am trying my best to be an example for you because we as Christians can be living examples. Paul says, I want you to look at the example I'm trying to live and know that I'm forgetting the past, I'm striving forward, I'm looking to Jesus, I want you to imitate me. Don't look at the bad things, just look at my effort. Well, you guys are now living examples, you all realize that? Being a Christian, you automatically have a label. When someone hears the word Christian, they automatically assume certain things in their mind, so when they look at you, they hold you up to a standard of what they think you should be living. Whether that's fair or not, it's true. that when you say, I am a Christian, you are now an example. You're going to be an example to younger believers. You're going to be an example to older believers. You're going to be an example to non-believers. We're living examples. The third thing, verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. So the third thing is we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. You might think that sounds absolutely ridiculous. But Paul says right before this that there are some people who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. He's talking to a church who is being controlled by Rome. And being a Roman citizen gave you a bunch of benefits. It gave you a bunch of opportunity. You could get out of being executed just because you're a Roman citizen. But what Paul is trying to say is we are citizens of heaven. No matter what happens in this world... You good? You need another pen? 
Heads up. All right. Ah, uh, chill. Bring it back. What Paul's wanting you guys to know is that, yes, you are citizens of this world, but what the reality is that this world's going to end. You realize that? It didn't happen in 2012 like everyone thought of it was going to happen, but the world is going to an end one day. And that everything that you guys currently have, the status that you guys have, the wealth that you have, the opportunities that you have are all going to be gone. So wouldn't it be better to put your citizenship in something that is going to last for eternity? So Paul says you guys are not citizens just of this world. You guys are citizens of heaven. The fourth thing, verse 21. It's one of my favorite things. It says, who will transfer, or says, save it, back in 13, I'm sorry. Citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. That in the grand scheme of things, we will one day be transformed. I'm not saying you're going to like grow a fourth arm, like just like another leg. No, what I'm trying to tell you guys, like what you guys live and the body that you guys have, you guys know that your bodies now are deteriorating. Ask the older people, are our bodies deteriorating? Right? It's the truth. It's not just old age. It's not just the stuff we eat. It's not just all these different things. The reality is that sin is destroying the body. Sin does that. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, it says that sin entered the world, and from that came death. And all of a sudden, everything is prone to death. This world is going to die. You are going, sorry, 98% of us are going to die at some point in our life. You guys are really confused. 100% of us are going to die at some point in our life. It's just having fun with you. Have you ever seen Ricky Bobby, Talladega Nights? The one commercial he does is, hey, 98% of us will die at some point in our life. So once you want to get ahead and plan for your funeral, that's what he did. That's why I said it. Sorry. <laughs> Fell flat on its face. My bad. But we will be transformed. The sin-ridden, terrible bodies that we have, the, the terrible lives that we will have, just like Jesus was crucified, just like Jesus was put nails through his hands and his feet, beaten to death, put on a cross, died, he was transformed into a new body, a new creation after the grave. Same will be true of us. Jesus will come back. He might get, now, some of us, Dylan, you're going to look more transformed than you do right now. Those eight-pack, 12-packs, whatever you got in your abs, yeah, even greater. Brett, we have hope, right? We have hope. I look at that and go, man, I would love to have a six-pack. But I'm like, nah, I don't want to put in the effort. Man, I would love to get out and run a half marathon like Becky posted away, but nah, this TV and couch are amazing, right? That's just me. I just have the hope that one day I might be able to do more than a marathon. I'm going to have a transformed and glorified body. I'm like, yeah, here we go. I didn't have to do any of that work. I'm just kidding. You should, you should still work out. Sorry. The next thing in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm. The next thing we can do, we can stand firm. Because of all this, because of what Paul has been saying, is that we can now stand firm. What that means is you guys can now stand the test of time. You can, you, can, you, can with go, you can go through the struggles that you guys go through. You guys can deal with the things you have to deal with. Because of what Christ Jesus has done for you, you can stand firm. You can stand secure. You can stand proudly. Stand firm. The next one in verse 4. It's one of my favorite passages in Philippians. To rejoice in the Lord always, again, I say rejoice. The next thing is that we can rejoice always. This is where people get really 
confused. Because you look at that passage and you say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because we've had this idea that we cannot really rejoice always because of the circumstances that we're in. Whenever we deal with the circumstances that we deal with, we try to figure out how we can rejoice. If you're getting confused and trying to figure out how we can rejoice, what I want you to know is that there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent upon happenings. The current things that are happening in your life, that's what determines your happiness. How many of you ate Tostitos or pizza rolls? You guys are content, right? You guys are happy? Now, I'll, now, how many of you all would have been very upset had you come in here tonight and there would have been no food? Our happiness is determined on happenings. The things that we have in front of us, the temporary things that give us pleasure, the temporary things that fill us, the temporary things that satisfy us is what determines our happiness. What Paul wants you guys to know, we can rejoice always because joy depends on one thing. And guess who that is? God, Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that can determine your joy because you get joy out of the fact that knowing that, yes, I can be filled with sorrow. I can be filled with all this hatred. I can be filled with all this evil in my life. I can be surrounded by all these different things. But the reality is I still have a hope in Jesus Christ that even though I'm in the middle of this, he's going to pull me out of it. Your happiness will, will be determined by happenings, but your joy will depend on Christ. That's how you can rejoice always. So if you are currently in a situation where you can't rejoice, know that there is a huge difference between happiness and joy. And I promise you can find joy. The next thing, verse 5. Let your reasonableness, also known as gentleness, be known to everyone. The, the reality is that we have a gentleness that is now evident. We have a gentleness that is evident to all. How many of y'all met someone with just real gentle spirit? Anybody? Okay, no one? One? My sister-in-law is the most gentle. We were Katie and I were trying to figure out how to describe her. Her name's Erin. We had no idea the word that we could come up with, but gentle is a great one to think about. I don't understand how sweet she is. The first time I ever met her, I thought she was the fakest person in the world. I'll be honest. I've told her this. No one should be that gentle. No one should be that sweet and innocent. No one should be that just content. But the reality is that everyone who believes in Christ should be that gentle, should be that content, should be that sweet, should be that innocent. And Paul says that your gentleness and your, your reasonableness will be evident to all so people will be able to look at you and see what God has done in you. That the only reason why you guys are gentle is because Christ has done that. Because in reality, we're not going to be gentle that often. Make me mad. You'll see what happens. Next one. Yes, you did, Hudson. Down in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication. How many of you have ever dealt with anxiety or worry? I'm pretty sure every hand will go up. You have a big test ahead of you. You have family struggles. You don't know what's going to come in the future. Everybody, I believe, deals with anxiety and with worry. But what Paul wants you guys to know is that because we are in Christ Jesus, we can be free from anxiety and worry. You can be free from it. You can be free from anxiety and worry. And in the next few verses, we'll explain why. Because the next one in verse 7, in verse 7 it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. But the only reason why you can deal with anxiety, the only reason why you can deal with the worries that you have in this world, is because in Christ Jesus you have the, you have the peace of God that surpasses all everything that you can understand. The only reason why we have anxieties, the only reason why we have worries in this world, this confusion that we have in this world, is because we cannot fully grasp that peace of God. 
We can't grasp it. Even though how he's lavishing that upon us, we cannot grasp it. And we take our eyes, we take our minds off that piece of God, and we start worrying about the things of this world. We become anxious. We become depressed. I've been there with you all. And in the very next verse, in verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there is anything of excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, about, think about these things. Like I said earlier, when you remove something in your life, what happens? Something fills it. When you guys remove thoughts in your head, when you remove the negative things in your head, you know the best way to do it, how to counteract this is? Think positively. You ever think about this? Whenever we start struggling with something, our minds automatically go to the most negative spaces in the world. And then all of a sudden, everything that we see, everything that we hear, is now negative. Everything that we interpret is now negative. When we, when we really want to transform our mind, like Romans 12 one says, let's be transformed by the renewal of our mind. To do that, to renew our mind, to rid ourselves of these negative things, you have to put something positive in its place. You have to put something in positive in this place. Otherwise, the negativity is going to keep coming back. And it says, whatever is honorable, whatever is true, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is worthy of praise, whatever is anything that is positive, whatever is in Christ Jesus, think about these things. You can think about Jesus Christ. You can think about hope. You can think about mercy. You can think about love. You can think about all these good things about God, and that stuff will surpass everything that is negative in your mind, anything that will cause anxiety, anything that will cause worry in your, in your life. It's true. I used to struggle with depression. I had to see counselors because of depression. And I used to text my friends at the darkest points of my life, and I said, I need you to do something for me. There, I, I said this the other day. There's two people in this world. You know, I, I, I vent and I vomit information on Katie all the time. And she speaks a lot of truth into me. But there's two people in this world who have the spiritual gift of knowing when to call me or text me. One's Dave Medley, who would just text me randomly, hey, how you doing? But it's when I need it. My other one friend was Drew, who was at Fall Retreat that I mentioned earlier. I used to text Drew when I was going through this stuff. I said, I want you to text me something true of me and something true of God. He says, why? I said, because I need to hear it because that will, that will be worth everything. That everything else that I'm dealing with in my mind, everything else I'm worried about, everything else I'm stressed about, everything else that's depressing me does not come close to how good of the truth that you are giving me. If you want to remove the negative things in your head, you must meditate on such things as the joy that surpasses all these things. So the thing you need to fill in there, we can fill our minds and, and our hearts with the very character of God. God is noble. God is pure. God is holy. God is just. God is admirable. God is worthy of all of our praise. Fill your minds with the very character of God. Fill your hearts with the very character of God. The next thing, found in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. The Philippians were sending money, sending gifts to Paul to keep his ministry going. Because what you realize is that when you guys have been loved, when you guys have received this mercy, when you guys have received this grace that God gives out on you guys, you don't withhold that blessing, you extend that blessing is that the, the reality is that we in Christ can support those in difficult times. We have the opportunity to do that now. You have no idea, time and time again, when people come to you and they ask just for your help, and then you can look back over your life and go, wow, I am so glad I went through that, because if I had not gone through that, I would never have been able to help this person out. And you guys now have the opportunity to support those who need help. 
The next thing, found in verse 13. Two more. It's one of the most taken out of context verses in all scripture. I used to say it every time I shot a foul shot in basketball. I can do all things through him who, what? Strengthens me, gives me strength. Can I go out of this room, jump off this building, and fly? Nope. You know what Paul's actually talking about? We'll back up one verse. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, facing hunger, facing abundance, facing need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What Paul wants you guys to know, what I want you guys to know, that it's not it's some secret thing that we've not tapped into. What Paul wants you guys to know is that we can be content because in reality is, no matter if you guys have nothing or have everything, the reality is everything is in Christ. And because everything is in Christ, and now that you guys are in Christ, you can now handle the things he wants you to handle. You can be content in all things. You know what I mean by content? Remember Taco Bell? Good to go. Same thing. Be content in all situations. Life sucks sometimes, right? We can be content in the times that it sucks. We can be tent, content in the times that it's awesome. We can be content in the times where I have nothing. I can be content in the times I have everything. The secret is who? Jesus Christ. And the last thing, found in verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. At the end of this, he, he gives one last thing to the Philippians church. And he's, he's receiving all these benefits and receiving all these gifts from the Philippians. But he says, I want you guys to know that my God will supply every one of your needs. We can experience a God who can supply every one of our needs. That what I'm not saying to you is this, that if you think you have a need, that you need thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars. That's not what I'm talking about. God knows the true need. Last week we talked about the woman at the well. The real, the real problem was not that she was coming to that well every single day. The real problem is that she lived in a broken home dealing with multiple problems and of sin. And he supplied every single need that she had. He provided living water. That is very much true of us. God can supply every one of our needs. So if I could say anything from this passage to close out this series that we've been doing, I want you to hear this. Listen up. I'm not perfect. Chrissy Durham's not perfect. Dave Medley's not perfect. Brett Howard's not perfect. Manna Purdue's not perfect. Beck Morgan's not perfect. Joe Lizer's not perfect. Kendrick Foreman's not perfect. David Bryce's not perfect. Zach McRae's not perfect. Anna Corner's not perfect. Becky Postway's not perfect. Angel Sprouse's not perfect. Shelby Foreman's not perfect. Karen Noel's not, not perfect. Who am I missing? Dylan Brizzini's not perfect. Katie McClure's not perfect. Teresa Truax is not perfect. Ryan Elliott's not perfect. Well, Ryan Elliott's not perfect. But you know what? We do our very best every single day to forget what lies behind, to strain forward what lies ahead, to press on to what we hope in Christ Jesus. You know why? Because everything that we've realized in life, the only reason why I do youth ministry, the only reason why these adults give their time to sit here and listen to you guys talk about boys, talk about girls, talk about farts, the only reason why they do that is because they have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, like we read when we were around that fire earlier. They've been delivered. They've been redeemed. They've been forgiven. And they guys, guys, they want you guys to look to Christ Jesus, to pursue him with everything that you have, to look 
forward, to forget what lies behind, to press on to the upward call of Christ Jesus, because one day we're all going to be in eternity together, and we're all going to be transformed into new creations. And we believe that the old things that in this life that struggle with us can be put to death. And we can all press forward together. But the reality is we have to do it together. If you ever study trees, if you ever study mountains, there's a thing called a timberline. Anybody know what the timberline is? What's it, what is it? It's when the trees stop growing. At a certain point on a mountain, the trees stop growing. Did you know that at the timberline, over time, trees have now adapted, which they do do this. They now adapt where they now grow their roots into one another because they're shallow roots at the timberline, and their branches go within one another. So if one tree falls, guess what happens? It's being held up by every single one of us. Every single adult, every, me, every single person in this room is here to help hold you guys up and help push you forward. We don't push you down. We don't let you fall. If you guys are truly believers in Christ Jesus, guess what? Your small groups, that's who your timberline buddies are. I hate to say it, that sounds really stupid. That's who your timberline buddies are. That's the people you're holding up. That's the people who are holding you up to hold you accountable. But what we want you guys to know is all of us leaders, myself, join us, leaders, join us as we imitate Christ, as we pursue Christ. Come join us in that pursuit because I promise at the end of the day, we have a citizenship that's in heaven, and that's what's pure. That's what's holy. That's what's noble. That's what we can meditate on day and day and day, night and night and night. That's what's worthy of all of our praise. That's why we come together. That's why we worship.